outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. Hello and welcome to the God Journey. Kyle and I started a conversation last week that we just couldn't compress into the 42, 44 minutes or so we try to keep the podcast to. In fact, he brought up the topic spiritual warfare at the end, if you remember. So we're going to keep playing part two of our conversation as we're talking about some of the content from the Agreeing with God series and the after show on the podcast and and what may be ahead for us. Where does spiritual warfare come into play with this? Because, you know, I you talked a little bit on your, in your first podcast about, you know, how the January 6th, and that was a, a day of spiritual warfare where a lot of people, a lot of evangelicals went to, evangelicals that I'm very close to, went to D.C. They were there to pray. They were there to to basically pray in this, pray in the kingdom into the United States, into politics, etc. But they viewed it as a time and a season of spiritual warfare, a day of spiritual warfare. And and then you, you know, you read books like, you know, they talked about like Frank Peretti's, you know, This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, read those books, you screw tape letters, read that book, you know, C.S. Lewis. There's these ideas of spiritual warfare. And I and I think there's very much a there are kingdoms and principalities of darkness that are looking to steal, kill, and destroy humanity, the beloved of Christ. And and so, but what what are your thoughts as in regards to where what does spiritual warfare look like, especially if we are, what if we are living in the end days? What does spiritual warfare look like, and how does that come into play for a believer that's wanting to walk in rest, love, and play? I don't know. I, I feel weird, <laughs> like I'd be an expert on the spiritual warfare side of thing. I have dealt with people who've had demonic influence in their lives, and exercise. I've dealt with homes that are haunted, help people find freedom. I believe in a devil who, and evil that work in the world. I believe God has called us as believers to, when we're led, to deal with those kinds of things we do. I, I believe in spiritual warfare at that level. Yeah. When I get into the spiritual warfare that we are taking on principalities and powers, I don't know that I've ever seen that be fruitful. And I've tried some of that. You know, it's like I've been involved in some of that, really, commi- yep. but nothing moved the needle. We did all this chanting, walking, praying, mapping, <laughs> nothing, nothing moved in terms of the world getting better, the, the results we thought it would engender. When mm-hmm. I look at the spirit behind the new apostolic reformation on how a prayer intercession thing in D.C. could turn into an aggressive insurrection against the government political process, that's because you've worked up people with a passion. They've seen this as this is what we have to do for God. Now they're breaking the law, trespassing, all kinds of things without any sense that what we're doing, they're just singing praise songs, happy walking in the Capitol. Some are swinging flags and other things and hurting people. A lot of people just walked in there kind of innocently. Well, something beautiful is happening. Revival's at hand. I'm sure there's just a lot of people that went in there thinking this is a great moment. Um, I don't see anything in Scripture that says by our intercession we do battle with the principalities and powers of the world. The only thing that said is 
to the manifold wisdom of God, Jesus, God makes himself known to the principalities and powers. A lot of people quote Daniel when this happens. Daniel was praying in repentance for Israel. That initiated something in the heavenlies that bore fruit later. Daniel wasn't involved in that. And I think we've right. tried to interpose ourselves into the environment we don't really belong in. And we can fantasize it and pretend things are happening. And so a lot of people have been led astray, particularly if, and this is going to be controversial, but people that are spiritually empty, who get a cause celeb, like I'm moving mountains, I'm praying for this, I'm dominating that, I'm I'm doing something over here, there's no practicality, I'm not, I'm not loving my husband, my wife any better, not, not learning to live in the world as a redeemed person, and not learning to embrace God's love. I'm actually taking my fears and my spiritual passion and routing it to something up there in the heavenly somewhere that we don't really see or control. And when you've got apostolic slash prophetic people trying to describe what you're doing and you buy into all that, then you've got to stop at some point, step back and say, okay, what do we see as the fruit of this? Mm. And if the fruit of it is more alienation from even folks that don't know Jesus, if it's more we have enemies in the world, if it's more we're exalting ourselves spiritually, if it's not leading to love, and tenderness and the fruits of the spirit, then we've got to say it's a fabrication of our own minds. Mm. Now, if there's a time we we've not, I, I wouldn't consider what we're doing as any in our prayer time. We haven't done any kind of spiritual warfare in that sense. Yeah, we've let it go on inside of us and inside our communion with God. Whatever God takes from that that works against darkness, God, go do it. That's you and the angels and Jesus and. He's going to bring all the enemies under his feet. He didn't say under ours, but under his. And I'm content to see how that plays out. I don't think we're bright enough to be involved at that level. Bright enough, strong enough. I, you know, I, I think about even taking on the, when they talk about taking on the principalities. And I mean, that's very much have been in those prayer sessions as well, where there was the yep. prayer mapping and walking through the and taking on the, this principality of that or this authority of this space or this authority of this city or this nation or, you know, whatever. And I don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm, but I would agree that in general, my eyes have not perceived a significant shift in those types of meetings and those types of experiences. And, and honestly, I think about the, just the, impact power influence that some of those friends about i think i'm i'm good enough to say that i don't have the strength to take that on i don't want to take that on that is not you know that yeah. i would much i would much rather leave that in in god's hand. and even the, the conversation about daniel right like the messenger is coming to talk the angel the angelic messenger is coming to bring the message to him but the angelic messenger didn't go and get daniel to right. be able to break through, right. he went and got the archangel, and the archangel went and did what he needed to do in order to get the message to the person who was praying. You know, and so that's like, like, okay, that's you know, I Daniel wasn't, yes, he was praying, but in regards to Daniel's prayers being the thing that influenced the archangel to tear down all these huge spiritual, I, that's not how I perceive that passage, but maybe I'm wrong in that. Yeah, and if this is so important, it's one of the things, this is one of the litmus tests I use about anything. Do I see the Jesus of Scripture? 
doing these things or teaching his disciples to do these things. And that, that more yes. importantly, we don't know what Jesus is doing. Yeah. When he's praying all night out on the hillsides. We don't have no yeah. idea, but he's Jesus after all. So yeah. I look for, what did he teach the boys to do? Did he teach them yeah. spiritual warfare techniques and hierarchies of spiritual humanity and power? No, no, no. Did he even teach them how to form a church? No, he didn't teach them that. He taught them to follow his father, to learn love, yeah. to, to learn compassion, to walk in the world as as a, as the guy he was. And he didn't do those things when he had the chance with Herod and Pilate. Jesus had the chance to do it very directly to confront human powers. And he even said that to Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would have swords. Yeah. They don't have swords. Not about this. And I think yeah. today Jesus would say, if my kingdom were about this world, my, my supporters would have uh, voter registration packets. It, and that's not saying we can't be responsible part of a democracy. Yeah. It's just saying yeah. when I, any of these things, expressions of revival, whatever, did Jesus do anything that looks like this? Did he encourage the disciples to do anything that looks like this? And if he didn't, it's everything I can do to learn love in the world I live in and to yeah. let God shape my heart in a way that doesn't respond in anger and vengeance to people who wrong me. That's all. That's... I don't got time for the other stuff unless very directly God inviting me into it. Yeah. And I don't sense him doing that. Well, I just love that. Just the, the idea of like, okay, what did, what did Jesus model? What did he, what was he teaching the people who were his direct disciples every single day walking through life with him? What was he instructing? What was he inviting them into? What was he nudging them? What was he highlighting to them that they, that they were impacted enough by that they wrote down in the, in the canon of scripture. And and in the Gospels. And okay. so that, to me, it's like, okay, even the, the opportunities that Jesus had to be made king, to be crowned king, and to take over authority in the way that we would perceive he would take over authority, he didn't. And that's the, that's the thing that I just continue as I'm walking with him. And especially, like, looking back at the three years and looking back at the podcast that you and Bob did, Father is so counterintuitive to my earthly human wisdom and the way that I go through the world. Now, the longer I walk with him, the more do I that I start to recognize those things, the more that starts to integrate and infuse into my life. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because that's that's the invitation is to become more like Christ as his salvation continues to be worked out in my life, right? But I I I regularly am getting humbled. I, my knowledge and wisdom in the way that I perceive doing life in the world and it getting challenged by, by the way that he nudges me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like rest, love, and play. That was not the invitation that often I was shown or invited to or was ascribed to his name. Mm -hmm. Rest, love, and play? Really? Like, really? Like, is is that that's who Jesus was? That's how he lived out in the world. And yet the longer that I look through and the longer I've held that as I've read through the gospels multiple times since then, it's like, yeah, he was pretty playful and he was a jokester and he was kind of like, had some sarcasm and, you know, it just, and yet he, he played with his people. He invited them into that. He was very playful with that. Mm -hmm. And, and did I ever see him in urgency? No, there, there wasn't a moment that I, as I read through the accounts of his life walking on earth, 
that he was frantic running sprinting to go and do something no never like i never saw that and so it's like okay lord like once again all right how how do i live that out what does that look like especially translated into our world today what does that look like as as we're walking in the 21st century and as early christians are interpreting that they're looking at the cross as where jesus confronted the principalities and powers Right, And it wasn't a prayer meeting. It was laying down his life to the injustice of man's vengeance. It's going to tie a bunch of knots together. He's laying down his life to that. And that's what disarmed principalities and powers, Paul tells us in Colossians later. So the whole idea of what spiritual warfare would be like, would it be the direct thing of praying and having generals and sergeants and corporals and taking any of that stuff seriously? No, it wouldn't be any of that. It would be, where do you lay down your life in the face of evil to win over evil, to do good in the place of doing bad? Lewis had a dream this week. He came home and shared with me, my friend Lewis. This was powerful. My goodness. He, he's, in, he's in this dream where he's in the mountains in some snow, and there's these wicked beasts, not even real animals. They're just beasts and monsters, and they're killing people. And he's got a gun, and he's trying to kill them. And he's noticing in the snow, there's a trail of blood, like somebody's wounded. And so he's, he's trying to find his way up to where the blood, and the closer he gets to it, the, it becomes drops of blood to actually a rivulet of blood. There's actually blood flowing down the mountain. He's like, oh my gosh, I've got to get up there. So he fights his way to the top of the mountain, and he gets up there, and, and Jesus is hanging on the cross in his dream. <laughs> and he's looking at Jesus, and the blood's dripping from him. And Jesus just said, looked at him with eyes of love, just, I love you, Lewis. And he sees all these wicked beasts approaching the cross. So he runs up there and he turns around and he starts battling the beasts. And Jesus speaks to him and says, he says, why don't you trust me? That's what Jesus says behind Lewis. <laughs> oh, we got a blower outside here. Let me get that blower. This is why we don't do Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> We've got gardeners here. Move along, move along. Uh, you can see my great patience, those of you joining us by Facebook Live. I love it when the gardeners come. And... Can you hear it? I can't. Uh-oh. Oh, my gosh. I oh, hear it in my there, headphone. I, I just caught a little bit of it there. Move on, dude. It's not that big of a yard. It's a tiny yard. Just blow it up. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. They have no idea. Forgive them, <laughs> Father. They know not what they do. <laughs> so anyway, as Lewis is fighting off these wild animals, Jesus says to him, why don't you trust me? And Lewis says, trust you? Don't you see I'm trying to protect you? And Jesus says, but you turned your back on me. <laughs> Literally turned his back on Jesus. And he says, but if I turn around, I'll be devoured. And Jesus mm. says, don't you trust me to deal with them? And he finally turns around, and Jesus is standing right in front of him, no longer on the cross. He's just right in front of him, and he says, where are your enemies now? And Lewis turns around, and they're all dead. Oh, and I just, oh, my gosh. And then he says to Lewis, when will you learn I am the only weapon that you need? When will you learn I'm the only weapon that you need? Oh, my goodness, that... I think that feeds into the question about spiritual war. That when I read, yes. I hear stuff like that, yes. my heart just goes, 
Oh, I so resonate with that. That actually by trying to protect Jesus, we turn our back on him. Just the whole thought of that, which is in the moment, it seems absolutely absurd. The motivation of Lewis in the dream is not to turn his back on Jesus. Yeah. But in the attempt to protect Jesus from evil in the world, he turns his back on Jesus. And you're no longer gazing in his face and, you know, following him. And I just thought, I thought that was powerful. He shared that with me, and I just said, dude, Ooh. man, I think that's a powerful, <laughs> powerful thought right there. Oh, I love where are your enemies now? <laughs> it turns back around and it's, they're gone, done. Why did you think I needed your protection? I want to yeah. protect you. That's, we get this stuff so backwards. Somehow... The, the temptation of humanity is, let me take into my hands the things of God, instead of let me put myself in the hands of God and just be his child and learn to love. And what spiritual warfare will do will come in the laying down of our lives when it's least glorious and least self-rewarding. That's And you can't raise funds on that. I think that's why we do the other stuff we have. And that one thing at the time of doing 13 days of prayer at Mount Everest to unseat the Queen of Heaven, who had her domain on Mount Everest. So his prayer team goes there to pray for 13 weeks, and it's like 2011 or something that happened. They still, the people that were there, I heard this in the New Apostolic Reformation thing, still talk about it as the greatest experience of their lives, confronting the Queen of Heaven on the slopes of Mount Everest. And I just, my whole heart just goes... Yeah, you've got to embellish that. You've because you just spent a whole oh. lot of money doing something really stupid that nothing moved by. And yeah, you're going to have to come back and say it was a powerful experience. That's how those things feed on each other. We're doing yeah. something so ridiculous that then after we do it, we've got to like even those that got caught inside the Capitol. We we weren't here. For, we didn't know. We weren't trying. We were just. And I believe they weren't just. But you've got to make it. Oh man, it was really powerful. God was really moving. Why? Because you got caught doing something silly. In the name of God, you turned your back on him to try to protect him. And that's how I yeah. feel it. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, I know there's people probably listening to this that were there that day saying, Wayne, that's not it. I, it may not have been. But I tell you, when I hear those things, that's what resonates with my heart. This is his battle. We're his children alongside him. We are not doing something for him and how that ever got started in Christendom is that God wants us to do great things for God. That's how I heard it growing up. That's what I tried to do yeah. the first 40 years of my life, do something great for God, until God emptied my heart of the need to do stuff for him and just be with him and let him be with me and put the relationship first. And I mean a real relationship. I don't mean a pretend relationship that I get bored with in a week, and then I've got to go do something great for God so I feel more spiritual again. I mean the interaction in my heart that makes me feel significant to Him every day, even if I'm doing nothing external to make you think that. And that's, I mean, this group has been meeting for three years, just sitting in Jesus' presence every couple of weeks. That's, I think that was wise. Instead of every week, like we're trying to drive something Man, yeah. every couple of weeks gives time for, to process things settle. It makes me wonder why we do stuff every week and get worn out on it instead of, man, let's have a week where we do that. And that's a week when we stand with family and do something else. And we, we don't need to do something weekly to prove our spirituality. I love that idea of God 
not needing us to defend him or to protect him. And I think about that, like, especially in protecting his name or defending his name. And that, that's an intriguing one for me in regards, I'm going to have to sit with that one because, uh, you know, just thinking about if what he said to Lewis also overflows into, I don't need you to defend or protect my reputation, or I don't need you to defend or protect, you know, like I think about that. I'm like, Ooh, okay. Father, what, what does that mean for me? And and what does that mean for the way that I live in the world? Um, yeah, I I don't know that that one uh, that one's intriguing. I'm gonna hold on to that. Oh, one it is. I'm all over that one. I wrote it down in my journal because I'm I'm gonna meditate on this for a long time. But it's it is yeah. Peter cutting off the high priest servants here, isn't it? He, yeah. He turns his back on Jesus to protect Jesus that didn't need the protecting, didn't want the protecting. Yeah. Because this is his mission in the world. We are his children. And it's just, Jesus gets the last word on everything. The whole essence of the New Testament is when you're weak, then you're strong. Not when we try to amass strength in Christianity through numbers or prayer or money or anything else. It's, it's really the enlistment of human power on behalf of God, which always seems to bear the opposite fruit of what the intent is. I can say about all, the intentions are great. It's not, not that, not, it's not poorly intended. I don't think the Adam and Eve in the garden were poorly intended. It was, let us take by our own hand what God has not put in it. And then Mm -hmm. that exalts us in ways that are hurtful and it does damage to God's light in the world. But like you said, I don't think, (laughs) I keep coming back to this. I hate how God's reputation is smeared in this world by those who claim his name. He doesn't seem to be nearly as disturbed about it as I am, which is just shocking to me. Yes. Why aren't you miffed, man? Why aren't you whacking on some dudes? And he's just, uh, it's love that wins. It's love that wins in the world. It's not manipulation it's not us being better at power at the world's when you play the world's games you got to play the world's rules and that's yeah that was even part of the whole seven mountain mandate theology quote unquote was when you're in the business you got to play by the business rules even if that's dishonest and corrupt if you want to win there you've got to play by those rules that are in the political climate you've got to play the game instead yeah that sounds like jesus hey look in this environment let's be duplicitous and bullying and hurtful to other people and create false narratives to win our point in the conversation of the market square or the common square. I just go, oh my gosh. I had someone this week tell me that someone told them that our book, Language of Healing, uh, was a book about critical race theory. And I said, really? And this is somebody I know really well. And they made okay. that accusation that it's, it's espousing critical race theory. One, you don't know what critical race theory is, or you haven't read the book. because. But that's that's the boogeyman. When Black Lives Matter started happening and yeah. there was some awareness being brought to the whole racial inequity in America, it actually there, there's actually documentation of how conservative groups said, we've got to find a boogeyman. So they found this critical race theory. And yes, are, are things taught that are almost racial in tones to subvert racism. 
And I, I think a lot of racial dialogue in some quarters goes too far. It actually says everything is about race and we got to treat everything like it's racial. And I, I get why people say that goes too far and it does. But that's not yeah. critical race theory anyway. What what Christian, the Christian activists did was call anything that draws itself to DEI issues is critical race theory and it's out to circumvent achievement and honesty. And it, the, the rhetoric on it is just, so if you accuse language of healing of being critical race theory, then lots of people never pick it up and find out it has nothing to do with critical race theory. Yeah. But that's a way oh. to marginalize the inequity of our culture. So say, okay, there is inequity of opportunity. There is. But then they say, oh no, inequity is about inequity of outcomes. So you got to have the same number of A students by white as they are by blacks, even if you got to reduce the level. So black, I mean, and there are people advocate for that senseless stuff. But that's not what our book's about. And I, yeah. I think I've, I've got a podcast I listen to that absolutely mocks any DEI thing. And it's easy to mock DEI because there's extremists out there that give it a bad name. But you throw out everything that could be valuable for people in more marginalized groups to help them get the equity of opportunity that more non-marginalized groups get without thinking there's some value in that, but I tell you, there's a lot of people I know that completely write it all off as evil and racism to combat racism and go, okay, you use, use the extreme of something to undermine the value of something. And it mm -hmm. does, it's done on both sides. It's done to Christianity as well by the left. Yeah. But oh, yeah. it's just sad. Yeah. It's sad that we can't have an honest conversation without name calling, marginalizing, and then it's just, you're lost from there. Anything else? Oh, it's 18 more pages of notes. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got two more, but <laughs> well, we might as well get them. We'll get two shows out of this. I I really liked when Mark Warner uh, made the shared that inf that uh, quote that he got from one of the people that was riding in his car, and the quote was, "Wisdom does not beget knowledge until it's endured adverse adversity." Mm that was i put a star by that and was like man that is a whew, that is a good <laughs> that is a good best thing i heard this week yeah uh, i mean it was say that again that, wisdom is not wisdom does not beget knowledge until it has endured adversity wow you know what i have loved about the conversation the last two weeks i mean i almost didn't put that first podcast up just because I wasn't sure of the impact it would have. But yeah, one, one of the things that's really touched my life is the conversations that have come out of this with two kinds of people. One, people who have been through great pain in their life mm -hmm. and have come through it a bit transformed by Jesus, and they resonate with the things in that. And so I'm, in, I'm involved with people who never written me before, listened to yeah. podcasts for years, and just saying... I've wanted to write you. I'm going to take this opportunity because I so resonate with what you were saying in there about gazing with God, about no vengeance inside God's God's love uh, for the world yeah. and how we would find bearing pain with God. And then there's another group of people that I that I love that are, are man, they're not ready for that. And I've I tried to say to people, man, if you're not ready to hold God's pain, I got this from a lady in Australia. She says, I understand what you're saying in both podcasts, but I'm too overwhelmed dealing with the physical pain in my life. I don't want to join God in his pain. Does that make me selfish? 
And the answer no. is no, exactly. It's no, it doesn't make yourself. If you don't have the capacity or aspiration yes. capacity, if you don't have the capacity to hold pain, so because you've got too much of it for yourself, or you don't yet know how loved you are by God. Yes. I love those conversations with people that need first experience and expression with God's love. Yes, that's that's key. Now, what I did say yeah. to her is, you don't need to hold God's pain. I hope you're learning to let God hold yours, because that's yes. that's what you need now. Yes. In time, as God makes himself known in your pain, you'll be able to hold some of his, if that's important to him. And it isn't yeah. necessary. I didn't want to put that on everybody. Like everybody yeah. should be doing this. No, no. Yeah. If God invites you to do it. If yeah. you, if you don't have, it's not selfish to say, God, I, I can't handle it any, any more than if your neighbor is in some horribly excruciating situation and asks for your help and you're already overwhelmed with situations in your life. No, you don't have to go rescue them. It'd be great if you could help them find someone else to, to help them if they need help. But the idea that we should always, because we're obligated to do, to, that stuff drives me insane. It's not selfish to live inside God's revelation to you and what you have the capacity for and what you don't. And being honest about that, I think, is just amazingly wonderful for people to do that. Well, that I think that's one of the really challenging things is somehow we have separated our capacity from or the idea of where we are capable or our, our capacity from love we've separated it from that that it's not loving and that it blows my freaking mind because it's like hold on how is it not loving to say no i don't have the capacity to hold god's pain right now perfect that's totally okay that's so honoring to yourself to the journey that you are with with father to yeah. the relationship that he has you in that's so honoring to that that's so loving and so why why is it that we have just completely dismissed where we're at and our capacity and and just it just boggles me why why we're there and how how that is seen as as selfish, as self-centered, as as incapable. I mean, there, there's a lot of words that come along with that, and, and it's like, man, that to honor where you're at and to honor your capacity and the capacity of those around you, and to to give grace for that, and to to enjoy that, to be attuned to that space, and just be okay being there. That's so incredibly kind. It is. And that's what they teach you in any kind of rescue, water rescue kind of thing. Yeah. If the if you don't go out there and you don't have more strength than the person you're trying to rescue, they can drown you. Yes. And it does you no good to go out there and drown with them. So if they're going to fight you, just stay out of distance till they stop fighting. This is not about risking your life at their expense in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I... I think the capacity to recognize, yeah, I have enough for this, or no, I don't have enough for this. This That's the one thing I didn't want people to take away from that is, and I tried to say, this is for like Christianity 501, 502. When you're down the road enough that you've had God hold your pain enough that you've got some reserve to hold his, then then go ahead and learn what that is. When he invites, I'm not sure more than maybe the 10 people in that room are meant to do this. I, I'm not even saying, hey, this is a new principle. We're going to write a book on it. Everybody ought to hold God's pain. I just, I have enjoyed it. 
I have been transformed by it. It has changed my perspective. It really is a lot of gazing with God. When I gaze out of his anguish, out of his agony, now I'm seeing everything very differently than how this white middle-class American boy grew up with the privileges I have and never really looking forward to the second coming because I never had enough suffering in my life to want to get out of it. But I think if you lived in Gaza right now or Ukraine, you would be yearning, come, Jesus, come. Yes. And rescue oh gosh, us. Yes. yes. And I feel that pain too now. And so it's very different how I pray for and look at the world. It's not just out of my own needs, desires, wants, but what is God saying? And where's the pain in the world? And what you felt for your daughter is what he feels for so much of humanity that is being consumed by evil and darkness right now. I love that that statement about risking your life at your at your own expense for the sake of others, right? Like that's because that scene is holy, right? Like we're going to push you outside of your your capacity, we're going to push you, we're going to invite you, no, we're going to demand that you step outside of your window of tolerance in order to serve others because it's more holy. And it's like, oh my gosh, that just pegs my yuck meter so hard now. It's like, oh, yeah. no, please no. That's that Jesus others yourself. So anytime yeah. you're saying no to something, you're being selfish. That That's yeah. what we have taught people. I grew up in that environment. Sarah grew up in that yeah. environment. So you don't get to say, no, I don't have it to give right now. And feel yeah. okay about and feel good that you've honored your journey. Yes. And honored God in you. No, you got to feel bad because if you'd have been a better Christian for longer, you'd been better able to do this right now. And and yeah. we've watched people sacrifice themselves in the name of God doing something. And then what you don't see is how they burn out later and burn out on God and never go back to the whole thing. You don't see that because we exalt it. We we exalt yeah. the person who is always available, always giving light. What a great witness they are. And everybody's trying to achieve that. And it's just, it's manipulative and it's destructive. And I, I, I'm glad people are learning to manage their own sense of journey. We, we talked about it a long time ago on the podcast, that live to your freedom. Yes. Don't live to someone else's freedom. Live to yours and let God, as he increases your freedom, there'll be other opportunities that you'll get to experience. But live outside yes. your freedom and you'll shrivel up and die. Oh my gosh. In in a heartbeat. And yet and yet that's often that's often perceived as the good Christian life, right? Yep. To to be outside of living in that love and to be outside of living in that freedom because well, you know, if I'm not shriveled, if I'm, you know, if I if my tank is empty, then obviously I've been pouring myself out for the sake of others and for the good of others. And so I'm more holy or I I've got more ticks in my hat or more jewels in my crown or however you want to phrase it. It's like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Or if somebody says they don't have enough for that. The response is always, well, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I mean, we've got so totally. many stupid little you need proof more texts. faith. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. To get people to sacrifice themselves for the good of our institution, sadly, yeah. or my ministry, or whatever. All right, anything else? No, I think that's it. I, man, there's been just some great reflection on, on that podcast, and I, uh, man, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what continues to unfold as you guys are walking with the group, and as Father continues to nudge you into some of these things. I'm really intrigued, especially as being somebody who is more on the outside of it, but then you and I are getting to dialogue a lot about it. I, 
I don't know. It's always fascinating when you say, oh, man, I've got something going on with agreeing with God. Man, it's like, okay, like, all right, what, what, you know, what, either that or one of Lewis's dreams. Like, I, I just like start rubbing my hands together and like, oh my gosh, like, what am I about to listen to? What am I about to encounter? I hear you. I hear you. Those things are, but I, I've noticed since we put it out there, it's kind of like mm-hmm. thought goes through my head randomly, like, oh boy, now we've really got to ramp this thing up. And then I immediately go, no, we started this without expectation. If we came back on next week and said, you know what? I kind of just ended right there. That's as much as we learned and it's over. Then it's over. I, we're still going to, I'm still going to approach it with the same. Let's just see what God has. And when God's done, I guess we're done. That's really intriguing that that thought did come up though of, okay, now we've made this public. Now we've kind of dialogued about this and temptation to, okay, now we've got to make this a thing or now we've got to escalate what we're hearing or make it more grandiose or, you know, however you want to phrase that. Yeah. Or more people going to have an excitement about what, what's your group doing now? What's it? And I, I really don't want focus on the group. I, I, what yeah. I love about the emails I've gotten from a lot of people is particularly one saying, gosh, I've had some of these similar thoughts in my heart. God's kind of been leading me or a group of us in a very similar direction. Love that. I also yeah. love those that are just saying, Hey, this is, particularly stuff we've talked about, about holding God's pain and those things of people saying, man, I've learned some stuff and that's putting words to it. That's very helpful for me to see what's going on in my life. That stuff really encourages me. And, uh, you know, we got, I mean, I got a whole page long email. We don't have time to read here. It may someday, but this is from a mid twenties girl in, uh, Maine is another one. I'm maybe get a chance to read. She's like 26 year old in California here that are seeing and praying with and talking through in bullet points, the same things that we have inside this group. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When we shared what a year and a half ago or two about, you know, God giving birth to this in a younger generation. And it's, it's, it's very rewarding to read those letters and say, God, you are actually doing this. You are waking people up in the way we've been praying and trying to guard in prayer yeah, that revelation so it doesn't get swallowed up by the world. So, anyway, this one is came from Mary. It says uh, it was a text to me. It says I have listened since early days of the podcast, long pre-shack. Your podcast was ministry to my husband and I through some dark days of chronic illness for me, and pain from the resulting loss of support. As people typically respond well to acute situations, but do not do so well with chronic ones which take years to find the answers for. Thank you from the bottom of our souls for literally being church and the hands of Jesus extended for us when we were hanging on in faith with God alone. Many of your podcasts over the past two years have resonated with me in a huge way and mirrored in some ways a journey I have been on for years. And that's what I, I find. People who have been through some serious darkness, trauma, yeah. pain, illness, and have found God in the midst of it. And there's a lot of people that go through that stuff and end up angry at God or bitter at God or not even, or at least wondering whether God still exists. But people who have been through it, found God in it, are much more attuned to some of the things that we're talking about than people who have lived a, how should we say, more sheltered existence. <laughs> Would you, sheltered or is it fair to say even institutionalized? Well, I was thinking more of just their their circumstances have been routine, relatively easy. Okay. So their faith is kind of in, I love God because my circumstances are good. Mm-hmm. 
am growing up okay. in upper middle class America and I haven't been through any challenges and I'm fairly healthy and there's a different place. And I, I think there's, and not that there are better people who've suffered. I, I, that's just a dumb thing to even have to uh, discount. But it's saying that what, what every writer of the New Testament says, that finding God in our pain introduces us to the kingdom in ways that we wouldn't see without it. And I, I don't think that means people should go volunteer for pain. I think that no. really is meant to say to people in pain, find God in this and walk with him in it, and it will change you in ways that will be valuable for you both in days to come. I love that. And I think, I don't know, I even just circling back to that thought about experiencing refreshment, even though over the last couple of weeks, I mean, we've been experiencing some very, very challenging, very scary things in our family. You know, even just my wife and I got to get away on a trip. We got to go and do some refreshing together without the kids and our car breaks down and we ride home in, in a tow truck, you know, and it's like, okay, what, what do we do with this? You know, and, and Jess and I are about climbing into the tow truck and we're just kind of laughing. And it was really interesting because there was this nudge, this drawing into this, this refreshing or into this time together. And we found out that the car was broken down the second day into our three-day vacation. And we're like, okay, do we just have to end the vacation here? Well, we didn't because we couldn't even get a ride back. And for me, it was like, okay, is this going to take me out? Is this going to steal? Is the thief going to win here? Mm. Is the is the thief going to have an opportunity to steal what the father, the kingdom is trying to offer in this moment? And that had to be very intentional, both when when we were navigating everything with Eliana and, and then even in this time, this weekend getaway kind of a thing where we're going to refresh and, and facing that, we talked a little bit, you know, about spiritual warfare and we've kind of dialogued a little bit about that, but then it was, it was just another like encounter of man. No, I'm not going to let the thief own this. I'm not going to let the thief take this. This is, this is mine to respond to. We have insurance. We're going to be able to get home. We're both safe. We're fine. And, can we laugh about this? Can we can we laugh in the midst of this saying, no, this isn't going to own the day. This isn't going to have the final say on it. And I think as Jess and I have walked with Father through some incredibly painful things, there is joy to be found. There is refreshing to be found, even, even in the midst of that suffering. There's that, that fragrance of kingdom that comes in the midst of it that it's hard to ignore. It's hard to extinguish. And let's be honest, in my days before learning to live loved by the Father, that kind of thing would have ruined me. You know, it would have been oh, yeah. after all we'd been through. And now we come up here just to have a couple of days going, God, you can't even watch our car with that. I mean, those are easy thoughts for any of us to kind of go down that road and then, like you said, let the thief steal the moment instead of backing out of that when it starts to come and leaning into the thoughts that saying, okay. We're safe. We'll make the best of it. This is life. Yeah. Life has chaos in it. Bad things happen. Unexpected things happen. And we just have to navigate those too. It's, it, we'd love to have this little pristine existence, particularly when you come out of something that's been very demanding on you both. And now you have a chance to get away and refresh and restore. So I think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing that you kept the refreshment going and didn't give in to the hostility of this isn't fair. You know, the old Job thing. One of these I can handle, but 27 of them at the same time, just too much. 
Well, that I mean, it was there was very much temptation, a very honest temptation for both Jess and I in that, and we had literally had sure. to sit down together on the bed and look at each other and say, "No, we're not going down that road." Because both of us, the thought came and came out of our mouth, seriously, like really, we can't just have one weekend, like no, no, like can't we get a win? You know, that was the the initial like there was kind of that that inclination to go down that road, and it's yet no, we. We've got multiple wins. Our daughter's still alive. She's healthy. We are back home. We had a great weekend, and we're still going to continue to have a weekend, and we have a way to get home. We're not stranded. So, okay, here we go. You know, and just. And some of those earlier thoughts, aren't they as if God orchestrated this for us? Yes. Or at least ignored it, getting by him, and let somebody else do it to us. I mean, that's where, if the blame goes to God, or the blame goes to us, that's the other danger, is I did something horrible that's allowing all this access to my life of dark things. But if we can just lean back into God and go, okay, the world is chaos. That, that It is. Mm-hmm. You will have other medical yeah. needs with your children. You will have other yep. medical needs with yourself. You will have other car needs. And uh, if we can just lean back into who God's reality is and saying, just, just walk with us through this, Jesus, and we'll be all right. And that will serve you well when the real crises come. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 